Let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the great triumph described in your word, the resurrection of the Christ, the one who was sent to save the world, to buy us back. We thank you that you came. Thank you that you endured the cross on our behalf. But we thank you, Father, that you raised your Son from the dead. What a joyous occasion. How great is the significance of this event in the history of the universe. Help us to understand a bit more, we pray, as we feast around your word and look at various aspects of the resurrection. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Yeshua's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, on Friday we were looking at the cross in a bit more detail. Like I said, you could look at it your whole life and see something new, something more beautiful about it, and that's what we plan to do. And then one day, when we go to heaven across there, we will know fully as we are known. Quite interesting that, hey? We will one day know fully. For now we walk around in darkness, but one day we will know fully. And I look forward to that. I think one would have to have a resurrected body to be able to contain the revelation of that magnitude. But in the same way, the resurrection has got so many aspects to it. But what I'd like to do, and this is what the Lord placed on my heart this morning, is that we don't just look at the resurrection. All right? There's so much to be said about it. We've said it so many times. There's so much more to say about it. But what God laid on my heart is that we've got to see the two together. In a sense, it's a package deal. You can't have the one without the other. If you want to give this message a title, it is No Cross, No Crown. Okay? No Cross, No Crown. Some people would put it in more basic terms, No Guts, No Glory, so to speak. But anyway, that's the heart of this. Let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at Philippians 3 verse 10. This is now Paul the Apostle who, I think, of most people walking the earth, had perhaps one of the greatest revelations of this whole thing. And he tries to express it in this letter to the Philippians, which is a church he loved very dearly. I'm going to read from Philippians 3 verse 8. We read from verse 8, and then we're going to go right through to verse 14. All right, that's Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. Yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Yeshua my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is born from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfect, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Yeshua has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
right? Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, the focus here is, verse 10, that I may know him. Paul, the apostle, if you understand his history, was quite a, a boiki, we'd say in our terminology. He had everything going for him. He came from the right family, was in the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, in the Jewish culture. He had the best teachers. Gamaliel, you might remember, his famous uh, Bible teacher of that day. And he had all this, and he had great prospects. Great prospects. He'd done everything right. He was, in our terminology, a success. All right? He's one of those guys that had it all together. The right pedigree, the right education, the right attitude, the right everything. And he finds himself persecuting the church of God. There's a lesson in that. You know something? You know I might be by world standards everything that the world could imagine. You understand? And you might have the approval of the system to the extent that people almost worship you and think, wow, he's got it all together. But in that condition, without Christ, do you know something? You could be actually working against God and not know it. Thinking you're making a great success, actually making a great failure. But Paul, fortunately, was apprehended by Christ, as he mentions here. We all know the Damascus experience. And from there on, you see, things changed. And he grew and he developed. It's quite a process. He didn't just suddenly know everything. He spent time on his own, communing with God, based on the scriptures that he knew so well, understanding how they fitted in with the new covenant, as it were. But you see, this man, in the process, loses everything. He forsakes everything. He forsakes the possibilities that he had as a, an up-and-coming lawyer, priest, whatever. In a sense, he might have been eligible to be the high priest at one stage. That's the top of the whole pinnacle. But all of that fell away. And he says he counts it as trash, rubbish. Right? Absolute rubbish. What's happened? He has changed. He has changed. But more than that, he realizes that no matter how much he's changed, there's much more. You get that? There's much more. Now just understand something. He had the whole world at his feet, so to speak. But he found something that is much more valuable. And what is that? Well, you see, he says here, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Now you see, one thing we've got to grasp, that resurrection, although it meant that we could live eternally, etc., it meant so much more. When Yeshua said, it is finished, what he was actually saying is that every single hold on your and my life, everything that this world system has to hold us back, has been cancelled. The entire influence of the enemy, the devil, the world system, that influence no longer has any right to your, life, your and my life. You see that? We can walk in the fullness of God on the earth without any hindrance. Now please, once again, let's understand something. It's not automatic. It has been purchased but we have to go and get it, if you understand. Right? You see? And now Paul realizes something. 
there's something much more for me in my life than everything I've known up till now. You see, and he's speaking about the power of the resurrected life. And you see, the key to the resurrected life is knowing Christ, being able to relate with him on an intimate basis. Can you see that? But that's not all there is to it. You see, Paul had this, this grasp on things. He realized how wonderful this resurrected life could be. And you see, you and I need to have that revelation. It saddens me when people start to speak about Christianity in such pitiful terms. Almost as if, oh, your sins are washed away, which is a wonderful thing. And one day you'll get to heaven. But further than that, suffer on, sort of thing. We're not supposed to think that way. Christ died that we might live a resurrected life, which starts the moment you and I say yes to him. Did you know that? Heaven starts the moment we say yes. We're still on this earth, yes. We are still limited by our bodies, yes. There's a day when we cross over. But do you know something? We're supposed to be living in such power on this earth. Such power that we are afraid of nothing and the world, in fact, is afraid of us. The Bible says that as he was in this earth, so are we. Think about it. As he was in this earth, so are we. You look at his life. He operated in such astounding power. No sickness, no demon, no nothing could stop him. He lived above physical limitations. He walked on water when necessary. As he was in this world, so are we. Can I tell you something else about him and this whole business? He said to his disciples, These things that I do, you shall do greater. Think about it. You and I shall do greater. Now some theologians try to say, oh, it just, it just means more of. Well, I'll be happy with more of, quite honestly. You know, I wouldn't mind raising a few more people from the dead than he did. No, I wouldn't mind healing a few more. You understand? That's fine. But he said greater. More astounding things are available to the person who believes. Let me tell you something. It's, it's going to take a long time for us to actually grasp that. Our religious minds just want to keep us in a little mold of just, you know, being holy. Well, there's holiness. We're going to talk about that. But you see, the potential for you and I is living like, now please, this is where everybody gets upset, living like God on the earth. Little gods. The Lord said, I mean, he said, you are gods. Everybody gets so upset. Oh, you can't call this. We are not God. Oh, please, let's get that straight. But we are his progeny. Do you understand? His progeny. Your children, Norman and Mandy, look like you. I'd be very worried if, you know, Jenna came out as a poodle. She probably wouldn't be. <laughs> she would love it, but you know, I mean, the way the dogs live in your home, she'd be treated better than she is now. But, no, that's a joke. But what am I saying? You expect her to be your progeny like you. Right? We are sons and daughters of what? The living. Can you say it? God. So what are we supposed to behave like? Almighty God on the earth. That, that's hard to grasp from, the, from a sort of religious point of view. You know? People get so upset. Oh, you can't call yourself God. We're not calling ourselves God. Please get it straight. We're not trying to compete with the Almighty. But we've got to realize something. His nature is inside of us. God and Christ are seated inside of us. We are seated in heavenly places. We should be operating like that. See, we've got to, we've got to lift the bar, so to speak, and not be happy with just survival. 
Survival mode and Christianity are not synonymous. We're supposed to be in thrival mode. That means unlimited success in everything we put our hands to. Unlimited. Because our God inside of us is unlimited. Okay, and everybody should go, rah, 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 fantastic. And it is fantastic. When he said it's finished, he said any limitation on you and my life right now is finished because I paid to destroy it. You see? Grasp that. We're supposed to be, I don't know, living way beyond the natural. The Bible says don't operate as mere men. Mere men. Like everybody else. Subject to the limitations of whatever the world wants to put on us. No, we're supposed to live like God on the earth. That takes a lifetime to grasp in our heads. It's a process, let me tell you, that is worth going with. Now, Paul understood that. Notice, Paul understood that. And he realized the glory of it. He saw some of the glory of it. He saw some of the glory. And he, to his dying day, said, I want to attain, I want to attain. Did he know Christ? He knew him much better than most of us. But I want to know him. What is he saying? There's always more about this man to know. You see, we can't be satisfied. Oh, I got saved and that's fine. I know about him. That's fine. I'm good. No, get to know him better, better, better. And as we get to know him better and better, we become more like him and start operating like him. Just think if every Christian operated like Christ on the earth, things would be somewhat different, don't you think? Things would be somewhat different. Where would people go for their healing? To church. Hallelujah. To church. The living church of the living God, and it's coming. Bless God, it's coming. But you see, now that's all the good news. But like I said, please remember something. We've got to look at this Easter business with both points of view in mind. Paul himself went on to say something. He said, that I might know the power of his resurrection, amen, hallelujah, and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. This is a message that the church doesn't teach. He took it all on the cross. Took it all on the cross. And true, he did take it all on the cross. But you see, there's something else about this walk with God that we've got to grasp. We don't have to endure suffering to get saved. Please, that's, that's foolishness. But you see, as we get to know him, we also need to know his death. What do I mean by that? You see, in this process of becoming like him, we have to die to the old man. Sad to say, in the years we spent before we got saved, and even after to a certain extent, we developed connections with the earth system. You see, whether we realized it or not, we developed connections with the earth system. One of the great connections with the earth system is, I'll do as I please. I will go where I want to go. I will do what I want to do. I will speak what I want to speak. And God will just have to bless whatever mess I present him with. Can you see that? There are many other connections. But you see, the truth of the matter is, if we want to know the power of his resurrection, we have to pick up the cross. You see? No cross, no crown. No cross, no crown. Christ was sinless, yet he suffered. Did he not? He suffered. What was his connection with this world system? Don't like pain. 
don't like pain. Listen, if you and I haven't got the, the guts to realize he was a man who didn't like pain like you and I do, you won't understand the gospel. You understand? He wasn't like Superman who just breezed through the cross and, you know, he felt every bit of that pain. But he was even more sensitive to pain because he felt not only that pain, he felt the spiritual and emotional pain of all of us. So, you see, we've got to understand something. No guts, no glory. No cross, no crown. Let's read another scripture in Hebrews. This is turn there, 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12. I want us to grasp something this morning. It's all good news if you understand it. It's all good news. Right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, who, now listen to this, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Put into a position of all authority, all right? All authority. But you see, what came before that? Because of the joy set before him, because he knew what was at stake, he took on the cross. You see that? He took on the cross. You see, now the devil with his little temptation, you know, this business of lifting up to a high place, and saying, all of this you can have. You see? What was that about? What was the little hook in all of that? Before you can have it, though, just one little thing. You know, just worship me. And the Lord didn't say it wasn't his to give him. Because remember, man had sold out and the earth did belong to the enemy. The kingdom of the earth belonged to him. But he says, no, you have to worship God. The whole hook, the whole sting of that was... You can have the glory that is yours, but what? Without the, the cross. Without the cross, you see? And he didn't fall for it, because he knew something. If he had received it without the cross, it wouldn't have been his. You see that? It wouldn't have been his. Let me tell you, the glory God wants for you and I. I'm not talking just about the glory one day when we get to heaven, as wonderful as that is. The glory intended for us on this earth. The mantle of authority we're supposed to be walking in, that glory. I learned something this week. I was studying somebody's teachings and very wise. But, you know, we got this thing of the name. You know, we, we bandy about the name like a sort of, like, how shall I say, a magic word. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Do you know that whole expression, in the name of, it's much deeper than just mouthing the name. Did you know that? Closely connected to the name is the character. The character of Jesus. You understand? The character of Jesus. When we operate in the name of Jesus, we are supposed to be operating in the character of Jesus. If we don't operate in his character, when we speak his name, it's pointless. One of the examples, Christ comes to the, to the Gadarene demoniac. Those demons didn't, he didn't even speak his name. They knew his name. They bowed the knee immediately. Don't throw us out. Why? They acknowledge the character. Can you see that? Now you see, for you and I to operate in his authority, what have we got to have first? Just a, a theological knowledge of the name, the name, bandy around the name. No, it's much more than that. We have to have what? His character. His character. Can I ask you a question? How is character formed? You know how character is formed? When you and I go through the test, am I right? 
we go through the test. And maybe we fail, then there's a flaw in our character. You grasp that. So you see, what's God interested in? Developing our what? Character. What you and I do when nobody's watching? Very simple way of saying it. But you see, if what we do when nobody's watching is exactly what we would do if the whole world was looking at us, guess what we're developing? Character. You see, character. That was the whole wilderness experience for the Lord. You are very hungry. Here's the bread. And when you and I say, I'd rather have what God has for me than what the world system has, you know what's happening right there? You are developing character. You see, the character of Christ. And that's what Paul was talking about. Fellowship with his sufferings. Fellowship with the tests that he went through to make him the man that he was on the cross. You understand? In Gethsemane, what was happening when he had the option? Bail out now. Let it all happen. Don't go through. What was happening right there? Sweating blood over what? This great decision, you see. And what was the great decision? A question of what? Character. What's character about? What I want is secondary to what God wants. Amen? What's expected of me? In a situation where everything's going wrong, what does character say? I stay here until it's sorted out. Amen? What does cowardice say? Oh, well, move on. You get it? Character. And God's very, very interested in character. That's why it takes quite a while to develop something in us which can carry the glory of God. Amen? Why are we not operating as little gods? Because we're all a work in progress. Amen? And what is God interested in? Not our biblical knowledge. He's interested in what goes on in your and my heart. You see? And the problem is that many people want the glory. They want, they want the resurrection power. Hallelujah. What don't they want? The cross. The cross. What is the cross in context? The patient building of character. Going through the trials. We've often been tried. Let me tell you, often come to situations where do we give to somebody else or do we go home and make a little bit of food for ourselves? Often happened that. You see? And by and large, can I say, we made the decision, no, the kingdom comes first. And afterwards, every time you just feel in your heart, something has changed. Amen? Something has changed. And it's not long after that that God himself supernaturally provides a lamb. You see, that's another test of character, isn't it? Abram, he's walking with his son. I mean, please, every step of that journey must have been painful, heart-wrenching. Another step towards the loss of the most precious thing the man had. But what was happening with every step? Can I tell you what was happening? God was developing his character. Not only faith, but character. Quality of personality. I can tell you, when we meet people, and we often do, whose character has been well developed, you just know it. You just know it. Here's somebody I can trust. Somebody I know, if he says something, we'll do it. You see? 
That's a test of character. Did you know that? A person who says something and does it to his own hurt, guess what he's demonstrating? Character. You see? Character. In our world, what is it a case of? I'll say this, I'll say that, but if it's not convenient, it's not going to happen. You understand? You can't trust the person. What's happening? Every time, let me tell you something, you say something and you don't do it, it diminishes your and my character. And so when you diminish, you and I diminish our character on an ongoing basis. We come to a demon and we tell them to move. They say, ha, ha, ha. Your words mean nothing. You hear me? Your words mean nothing. Why? Our spirit man has not gone to the cross. We are not operating in resurrection power because we haven't died. Does that make sense? You see, and the message is very simple for us. You know, God's got great things for every one of us. Great things. Massive things. The question is not God's willingness to do them for us. You understand? That's not the question. That's not even the, that's not the question. That's not even the issue. What is the issue? The issue is, will you and I rise up to the place where God can do it? Through us. Amen? We'll be able to handle it. Our character has been sufficiently developed. Why do you think Joseph went through all those years in prison? 13 years in prison. Don't you think it would have been much more easy if God had raised him up on the second day? Made him, you know, gave him the revelation, made him now the second in command in all of Egypt on the second day. Why waste 13 years? In our logical mind, you understand, it doesn't make sense. But from God's perspective, what had to happen? Test the man. Test the man. Test the man. Test the man. Every one of those years that young man must have had these thoughts in his mind, God has forsaken me. Why bother? But obviously he did not think that way. He put his faith in the living God and kept with it. Kept with it. Can I just say something? The greater glory God wants to put on us, the greater the test. That's obvious, isn't it? I mean, they make toothbrushes and I don't think they put the toothbrush through much of a test. If it breaks, nobody's going to die. But when they're building these massive aircraft, they put that hole right under water. Do you know that? And they just let the pressure build up and just to see if there are any leaks. They test it. They test it with strenuous testing. Why? Up in the, in the sky with all those engines whirring and the winds and whatnot, that hole is going to go through a lot of stress. They've got to make sure, guess what? It doesn't crack up under pressure. They built it. The first jet aircraft, I don't know if you know about it, the Comet. You might have heard about it in the 60s. This was the first jet aircraft. Everybody was so excited. Do you know what happened with that plane? One was hired by the South African Airway, South African SAA. Just off the coast of Italy, that thing snapped in the air. The whole thing just broke up. Everybody on board killed. And it happened twice, I think, or three times. So Winston Churchill ordered the finest brains in England to find out why. They put it through a whole lot of tests, all the scientists, and they discovered something. As it goes through that contraction and expansion in the upper atmosphere, there are certain stress places in the metal which they didn't understand, and the thing just snapped. You see? So I'm just saying that that thing wasn't properly tested. It broke up under pressure, and when something like that breaks up under pressure, people die. People get destroyed. Men of God that are anointed with great power and authority and they crack up under pressure, what happens? 
they leave behind them in their wake so many people damaged, destroyed. But you see, what we've got to learn is this. Number one, there's such glory available. If we don't see that, we'll not be prepared to go through the test. Can I say that? If we don't understand, if we don't have a, a revelation of the great authority God wants to give us, if we don't have that revelation, we will not put up with any form of test. We'll say, oh, it's the devil, and I don't want this, and I'll do something else. Amen? But you see, the moment we have that revelation, and my prayer is that as a church we'll grasp that revelation, that this is powerful stuff. It's not just something to be laughed at and just to be put onto a Sunday sort of service thing. No, this is life itself. Great authority and power available to all, irrespective of age, education, social position, race, nothing. It's available to every human being to walk as he walked on the earth. Think about it. Think about it. And do greater things. Every one of us. Amen? Once we grasp that, I mean, it's easy to say, but to understand the magnitude of that, that would be life, wouldn't it? You get a phone call, my daughter's died, come to the hospital. And you lay your hands on her precious daughter is restored to her family. I don't know about you, but that would really thrill my heart. And we know that God does it, but he's got to have somebody available. You see? So once we get these ideas in our mind and we start to grip them and believe them and trust God for them, what's the other side of the coin? Right. You want it? It's yours. Now let's go through the process. Amen? Finding fire. Are you available for it? Can I just say something? If you and I have a revelation of what's in store, we'll say, no problem. Lay it on me. Get, let's get going. Amen? Let's get going. And when the, the tests do come, you'll realize exactly what it is and you'll just march straight through. Hallelujah. Can you see that? And then we become vessels. Let's look at another scripture, my last scripture. 2 Timothy 2.20. A lot of twos in that. 2 Timothy 2.20. Please, this is available for all, not just somebody's become a pastor. Dear God, we're all pastors in a sense. We're all ministers of the gospel, that's for sure. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Do you see that? Some for honor and some for dishonor. Now, I just look at the full stop there and say, oh, well, you know, that some people are chosen, some people aren't, and obviously I'm not chosen sort of thing. You'd make a big mistake. You'd have to read 21 to understand what the man is saying. Therefore, if anyone... See that anyone, please underline it, anyone. It doesn't say any man, because then some of the women will say, oh, it's not us. No, it's anyone. It's not only the adults, it's anyone, child, anybody, any single human being, as I said, who walks on the face of this earth and has been blessed with some form of physical body, whether it looks good to you or good to others or not, doesn't matter. The size, the shape, the height, Whatever is totally irrelevant. Anyone, any spirit being in a body on the earth, right? If he, what, cleanses himself. Do you see that? Cleanses himself. What's cleansing? Allowing the refining fire to burn off the dross. He will be a vessel of honor. Do you see that? He will become a vessel. Silver or gold category. Right? Sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see that? That's the purpose of this. It's not for our own glorification, by the way. It's to be better equipped 
for every good work. You see that? Good works means the tough business that has to be done that hasn't been done. Amen? The good works is going into the places where the devil has been running rampant and turning the tables. That's the good works. But you and I will not go into those places and turn the tables if the refining fire hasn't done its work and we've been raised up knowing the fellowship of his sufferings so that we may experience the resurrection glory, the glory of his resurrection to life. Amen? Amen. So brothers and sisters, let's allow the Holy Spirit to inspire us to stretch for bigger things. Amen? Bigger things. Not to say that the things we are doing are not good. Please don't get me wrong. Everything you and I do for God is a great blessing to his church. But you see, there's so much more that needs to be done. And to do it, we need much, much more of his anointing on our lives. So you see, we've got to have this attitude, like Isaiah did. when In heaven they were saying, who are we going to send? And he stood up and said, here am I, Lord. Send me. You see that? Here am I, Lord, send me. But understand, it's not just a case, oh, you've selected yourself, you're going to be sent. No. In saying, send me, we're also saying, prepare me before you send me. Do you see that? Whatever it costs, I'm, I'm available. I'm available. That's what God's asking for, just availability. And as he does that great work in our lives, do you know something? We'll have purpose beyond measure. We'll see glory beyond measure. We'll have joy beyond measure. And everybody will be blessed beyond and above measure. Can you all say amen? Thank you. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you that we are called to great things, great things as your children. I pray for a revelation in our heart of these great acts that you want us to do. But at the same time, this realization, Lord, that without the cross there is no crown. May we have hearts that say, Lord, not our wills, but yours. Break everything in my heart that is connected to this world system that's holding me back, that stops me, stops us from heeding the call. And we trust, Lord, that by your Spirit, we will experience great things in our lives and in our community. And people will say, look what the Lord has done. Amen. Thank you, Lord.